I needed to not skate by for once in my life, and they didn't let me. At the end of the day, if you know that you don't feel good about the job, you got to be able to leave that behind. They just kept asking me to come back, and I truly love Milwaukee and Southeast Wisconsin. It's always great to be at WTMJ. This is WTMJ Conversations. Welcome to WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. It wasn't 20 years ago today, but back in 1977, when the Britons, Milwaukee's original Beatles tribute band, took to the stage at Southridge Mall. Since then, these four talented musicians have entertained fans throughout Wisconsin and the rest of the country with their consummate performance of the Beatles songbook. And joining us are Rick Bertoni. He, of course, plays Paul McCartney. Mike Shumway's here. He is John Lennon. Mike Tretchell, he's George Harrison. And Jeff Gish. Ringo Starr. And you know what? You're all such versatile and talented musicians. How did you determine which Beatles roles you would play? And I'm going to start with you, Rack. Well, actually, when I first started with the band, I was playing the John Lennon. I was playing guitar. One of our members had moved back to Arizona, and I became the bass player at that point. So since 1980, I've been playing bass and doing Paul. And then we've got Mike Shumway. And how did you end up being John? Well, they needed a John Lennon. Their John Lennon went off into another band, and they knew that I liked the Beatles from just being a musician locally, and I knew a couple of the guys, and had been out to see the Britons before I was in it. So it was just kind of a perfect fit at the time. I was. They were looking to do a number of shows during the summer, and I was there to do it. How about you, Mike Trutchell, George Harrison? Well, kind of the same thing. They needed a George Harrison spot filled, went over and auditioned, and got the part. And Jeff Gish, Ringo, how can yes. we forget you? Hello, love. <laughs> how are you doing? I actually started in 86 with the band. I replaced the original drummer, Mike Cuddy. I actually, I'll tell you a story here. This is a good story. I actually auditioned for the band in 76. When Rick and Al Sherman were putting the band together, and I actually won the position, I, they called me up for a rehearsal and said, we're going to start rehearsals in a couple of weeks, and we'd like to set up some schedules. And I, at that time, it was with a group called the Miller Brothers, and I said, well, I think I'm going to stay with that band. I don't know if a Beatles tribute band will work. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I said. At that time, there was only like Elvis tribute bands, and I didn't think that an entire show of Beatles would work. And then a few weeks later, I'm seeing all these big billboards. It's happening again. And the back of their heads, they had a photograph of all four of them with the back of their heads. And that was their first Southridge appearance. So, And I'm like... I missed out. <laughs> but then 10 years later, I ended up in the band. So. And Rick, what was that like? Nobody expected it. Not really. You know, I was playing in other bands doing Top 40, and my heart really wasn't in it just for that. And I loved Beatle music. And when I was in a Top 40 band, we'd always do a few Beatle songs. And at that time, I could see the interest of the audience that liked that music. So I said, you know, I think as much as I love this, I think I could put a Beatles tribute band together and it would work. If you do it well and do justice to it, I think it's going to go over. So that was the goal I had back then in 1976. So I had another musician friend of mine, and he was with the band for a good 20 years. And then Mike Trutchell replaced him after he decided to retire. I'm the only one that stayed with the band this whole time, and that just means, you know, I love that music that much that I just can't let it go. But I think what really got me interested in the Beatles, you know, when I saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, I used to hear the song, I Want to Hold Your Hand. 
I wasn't sure who that band was, but I'd hear that on the transistor radio. We'd be listening to it. And then my dad called me in the living room, and the Beatles were playing, and all of a sudden they played that song, I Want to Hold Your Hand, and I said, that's the band that does that song? Well, two weeks later, I was taking guitar lessons and combing my hair down, because <laughs> I want to be like that. And I think a lot of kids my age at 11 years old and 12 and 13, that was their goal, too. So anybody that wanted to play drums or guitar or keyboards, they were all getting into being a musician at that time. Some of us just carried on through and made a career out of it. So that's kind of what got me going. And I was really impressed that I was able to be able to put a band together and people were there to follow the band and selling out where I guess you could play Beatles all night long because Love Me Do and Revolution sound like two different bands. So there's such a variety, you can't hardly go wrong. What was the first song you played as the Britons? The very first song? Probably All My Lovin'. All My Lovin' was one of my all-time favorites, along with The One Who Holds Your Hand. That whole Meet the Beatles album is the reason I even play guitar. There's just so much music by the Beatles, but that's kind of what got me started, was that very early album. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. I always have played by ear, and I feel that it gives you a good feel for the music. Can you believe that only one of the Britons can even read music? You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back. I'm Libby Collins. We're talking with Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, The Britons, playing songs that are that recognizable. How much pressure is it to get every note right? I'm going to ask you, Mike Trutchell, because you're playing a lot of those lead guitar Mm. riffs. Well, we're still picking the songs apart. Back in the old days... You'd take the turntable and keep moving the needle back and forth to this one part of the song, back and forth, back and forth. And with repetition, oh, I think that sounds about right. I think I got it. I think I got it. And then 50 years later, it's it's something else. Listen to this. And we're constantly hearing new things. Constantly learning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're not using charts. You're doing it all by listening to the original recording? Well, I don't read music. I always have played by ear. And I feel that it gives you a good feel for the music. Mm-hmm. Maybe I lose out a little bit on not being able to read music, but I heard that about the Beatles, too. They don't read music. When you would look at the music that they wrote, there's music out there, but it's incorrect. Some of it's in the wrong keys. The recording is incorrect. You know, They don't even chart it correctly, so it's almost useless anyway. So you have to revert back to the recordings, You know, the original recordings. And it's gotten more sophisticated now with YouTube. We can watch people that break down these songs and they really have them down and they have the tracks now separated where you can listen to them and you can hear a lot more stuff than we ever could back in the day when we used to take the needle and move it back to the beginning of the song or the part we were working on, you know. Technology's moved it along too where we hear a lot more things now than ever, you know. I want to bring Mike Shumway in because as John, you're not just playing guitar, you play keyboards, you bring out the harmonica. That's a lot. They work me pretty good in this band. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say. Now, do you read music? Actually, I do read music or I have read music. I played trumpet in high school and studied a little bit of accordion when I was younger. So I did read music, but with the Beatles catalog, I found it easier and luckily was able to do it by ear like the rest of the guys, too. And it was quicker. Plus, again, the charting of it, we found when we looked at some of the charts, they were not correct. Wait a minute, that says it's a G major, but it's not, you know, that type of thing. So it was easier and quicker for us to pick it up by ear than it was to look at printed music. 
How do you decide which songs to perform? I mean, the Beatles have a catalog. You'd probably know the number. How many songs have they recorded? Anybody know? Uh, 210, something like that. And how many of those songs can you four play? I think we know about 157, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. Not that close. anybody's counting. Mm-hmm. Not no. that anybody's <laughs> counting. We try to do all the number one hits, for sure, and there's 30 of them, and then we all have our favorites. And the thing with the Beatles, almost any song on an album is recognizable. They know them all. So they're all kind of hits in a way. And so we'll say, well, listen, you know, we're going to do All My Lovin', which was not a number one hit from Meet the Beatles, but I Want to Hold Your Hand was, see? So we can do a few from that album, and I think people would know that. Abbey Road, there's three or four number one hits. We do all of those. And then we'll do something like From Yesterday and Today, which is one of John's favorites, was Andrew Bird Can Sing, which is not a number one hit, but we like to play it. And I don't care what song we play, people will recognize it just about, and they even know the words. So there's no losing on that. Is there one song that you hear people ask for more than anything else? I, a lot of Let It Be lately. Let It Be, I, I get a twist and shout, which mm-hmm. we always do. Hey Jude was a hey, big hey one. Jude's it seems number. like it almost goes in cycles sometimes. Yes. Where mm-hmm. and I had somebody come up and request Norwegian Wood, and that's the first time I've had a request for it, but the other guys have taken requests for that song too. Mm-hmm. So I think it all depends on your audience and where you are, and that's kind of a hard one to answer. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. He put them together thread by thread to make them look exactly the same, and he made those suits for Beatle tribute bands. The Britons talk about how authentic the outfits they wear on stage really are. Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm your host, Libby Collins. Let's return to our conversation with Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, the Britons. I gotta talk about the outfits, because I have seen Beatles tribute bands throughout the country and some of those clothes are kind of (laughs) cheesy but you guys do it right i mean the outfits that you have are so on spot now how do you do that where do you find them who makes your clothes how did you get to that point it's nothing and b put together was it (laughs) (laughs) no no i'll tell you what libby when the band first started we had a look for a seamstress to kind of take a look at pictures and kind of make them kind of close as we thought we could get them. But in the last recent years, the suits you see us wear now, there was a guy named Russ Lease, and he actually had a couple of the original Beetle suits. So he put them together thread by thread to make them look exactly the same. Mm-hmm. We had called him, we ordered our size, and he made those suits specifically for Beetle tribute bands. And that's what we have. And that's why they're yeah. cut in exactly the same shape, yeah, size, and everything. Absolute reproductions, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Down it, to the buttons. I mean, buttons and all the materials. He was painstakingly meticulous, meticulous about yeah. getting these suits correct. So well, that's you, why they look so good. You wear wool suits in summer. Yes. In Wisconsin. Yes. <laughs> you had to remind us of yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, so we, that's brave. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should have been a Beach Boys tribute band <laughs> wearing shorts. Well, well it's, it's, uh, it's we make jokes, yeah. We all thought about the option of wearing different clothes, but the visual aspect of the Beatles is so important that mm-hmm. people see you before they hear you. Mm-hmm. And to do it any other way would be we could sound as good as we could possibly sound. And if you don't look the part, especially with the Beatles, the Beatles were very visually identifiable. So by doing it in, you know, the outfits that they wore 
sells the production you know as well as we can with the music and I think to do it any other way the people would notice there's something not quite right they sound okay but they don't look quite right well when we're talking about the suits right. we have to talk about the hair now <laughs> I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but nobody in this room is 20 years old again what about the hair how did that come about and did you always wear the hair you're wearing now no, we didn't always wear the hair. We used to have our own hair. <laughs> All right. No, mine's, mine's in the closet at home. <laughs> well, and that's, you know, we talked about the guy that made the suits. There's people that actually make Beatles wigs. Mm-hmm. And we got our wigs all out of California. You tell them the person you portray, they cut you a wig mm-hmm. to fit you. And then my wife was a hairdresser. She trimmed them up a little bit and just made them a little closer to exactly what era you wanted. And you could pick an era. You could pick a later Beetle, an early Beetle, and we all picked the earlier Beetles for our wigs, and we just wear that through all shows. But, yeah, that's how that happened, too. Mm-hmm. Well, you're bringing up something I didn't realize, that each of the Beetles had somewhat of a different hairstyle, even though they were all kind of that mop top. How does it differ? I mean, for example, Mike Chumway, how does John's hair differ from George's? Well, he may have parted it a little bit different. If you look at different pictures of him, he had it combed down at one point, then he had it off to the side. So there was, even through various points in time, I think each beetle had a little different hairstyling depending on Mm -hmm. what picture you saw them in. And it could be, like I said, whether it's a part or whether it's the length of it or any other aspect of it. It was all basically the same hair. It's just that as times are changing, they probably changed the way they presented it as well. Right. A little longer Later years, yeah. too, you know, they yeah. grew their hair a little longer. But, yeah, they changed them up a little bit. I mean, even Ringo, for me, you know, he had a couple different looks, you know. So Rick, you mentioned it's a show. And I think, you know, a lot of bands just go up and they play their music and, you know, hey, we're going to jam and everything's going to come out okay and people are going to dance or they're going to have a great time. But you look at this as performers differently than a lot of other bands. Well, that's correct. Like Mike was saying here, our John, he said they hear with their eyes as well as the music. If you were to visualize maybe what the Beatles were like in 1965, we're hoping that that's what we're giving you that. You're looking at that with the show, with the suits, with the hair, with maybe the movement of the band, and of course the sound. So that gives you the show where like an Elvis imitator would have to wear the jumpsuit. So that helps his show. I always say, you know, we go up there and we do a sound check and I said, people wouldn't believe that's us, you know? And then you put the suit on, and we're going to sound a lot better if they saw us again. Same song, <laughs> but, you know, but that's, that's all part of that. Those are roadies mm-hmm. up it's, there. It's, yeah, 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 that's, yeah that's, that's our fathers. That's actually. all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we're packing up and say, where'd the Britons go? They left, yeah. and we're, yeah. and we're packing left the up. Building. Yeah. Yeah. So you mentioned the sound, and I think anybody who loves the Beatles realizes that each of the voices of the four Beatles were different, and you could identify them in songs. When you're singing, do you try to emulate those voices? Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. You try. We're not them, but, you know, you study even the enunciation of how they sang the songs and try to mimic that, you know. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. well, you're Ringo. So, yes, so give love. me an example of that. Um, well, Ringo wasn't a real high singer, and luckily I'm not either. So I fit right in, you know, as far as the voice. So, But how do you get the dialect? They it integrate actually, that into the song. They really worked hard at trying to not have their accent, that they wanted to sound American. They really worked hard at that. And sometimes it snuck through, but not too often. You know, when I'm doing any of his songs, I, I've studied them where 
You're singing it exactly the same phrasing right down to the minutest point to try and get it correct. And bob and weave. The bob and weave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you actually try to do the same movements then, too. Yeah, it kind of fits the song sometimes, Mm -hmm. you know. Yep, Mm -hmm. yep. Still ahead on WTMJ Conversations. It was so enlightening to see somebody of that age that enwrapped in the music and lyrics. He couldn't have been more than 10 years old. Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, The Britons, talks about their audience and their ages. They might be younger and older than you think. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. And I'm Libby Collins. Our guests today are Rick Bertoni, Mike Trutchell, Mike Shumway, and Jeff Gish, all from Milwaukee's Beatles tribute band, The Britons. Does it bother you when people sing along? I mean, you're up there, you're, no, you're doing a no, show. Absolutely oh, no, no, we yeah. love that. Yeah, now, when you see all ages, 8 to 80, and they know the words, yeah, you're accomplishing what you wanted. Mm-hmm. They're having a good time, they know the words, we're singing it to them, they're singing back to us it's a lot of fun that way mm-hmm. i find it easy to remember the words too <laughs> by watching them well i had a little 10 year old kid that was sitting in front of me on the front of the stage and i was almost distracted by the fact that he was singing along and he knew all the words. a young young kid and I had to kind of caution myself not to get distracted and forget what I was doing because it was so enlightening to see somebody of that age that enwrapped in the music and lyrics that he knew all of that. He couldn't have been more than 10 years old. Oh, and we would ask the kids, too, yeah. how do you know all the words of the music? My parents, my grandparents. Yeah, so they're still listening at home, mm-hmm. which is great. Great. i got to break it down and ask you all different questions about the way you approach your characters and Mike I'm going to start with you so you played John Lennon and in his years performing he incorporated so much of his personal life and experiences into his songs how do you bring his perspective when you're performing well I kind of see it as theatrical. When in the early years, there was that innocence, and I think that went for all the Beatles. During the middle era, John started getting more of a sarcastic personality, then into the later years, probably even more. So I kind of have that in the back of my mind as I'm singing these songs, and that does give you a little bit of edge on sometimes tone and just the way maybe John was thinking at the time when he wrote these, lyrics included too. So that's kind of the way I look at it from era to era. And I'm going to turn to you, Rick, as Paul McCartney. He has this vast catalog of music, not just with the Beatles, but post the Beatles. And he's probably the most recognizable is music of all four of them. Do you ever feel challenged in playing a talent that huge that's still performing to this day? We can't really come close to being them, who they really are, but we just enjoy playing the music as close as we can get it. And if people had a good time and they're saying, oh, you sound just like Paul McCartney, we might know better. But listen, they're having a good time, and I guess that's what's important to us. So we're trying to mimic their movements, their actions, to give you that feeling that maybe, oh, that's kind of like how, maybe how Paul would have moved or John would have stand and played his guitar and sang. Ringo had a certain bob to his head, and every one of them had their own little style. And if we can kind of give that little perception out there to the people, and they're liking it, I guess then we're accomplishing what we are wanted to do. Okay, got to ask Mike Trichel. 
Because you played George Harrison, and he was undoubtedly one of the greatest rock guitarists of his generation. I mean, there's no Absolutely. doubt about it. Which of his songs do you find most challenging to perform? Probably While My Guitar Gently Weeps, even though the lead solo was done by Eric Clapton. It's a George song. Boy, I know he's got a lot of good licks, George does. And that's probably the most difficult one that I found to play. And And Your Bird Can Sing. Yeah. That's another one. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right, and and finally, once again, we turn to Ringo over here. Jeff, the forgotten Beatle. <laughs> well, he was actually very loved. Well? He had a good following. To this very day, he's still very popular. But I read a quote. Okay. And it's been said that the Beatles had three of the most legendary songwriters of our time in the same band. And oh yeah, it was also Ringo. <laughs> it's sometimes disheartening that that's the attitude some people have. I know, but you don't realize, I could tell you stories about Ludwig, just the drum set alone. I could tell you stories about that because he influenced so many people to become drummers, including me. And I mean, he had a certain technique that wasn't like other drummers. He was actually left-handed. He plays a right-handed drum kit left-handed. So... That makes it difficult to reproduce some of his riffs, you know. What's difficult about that? Well, because he leads with his left hand. You know, he's left-handed lead where a right-handed drummer would be. And he plays a right-handed kit, so his rolls are awkward. There's a little pause in them. So you have to try and reproduce that, and it's kind of difficult to do, especially because I'm not left-handed. I'm right-handed. So, you know, like for Come Together, for example, that's a very difficult drummer because he played that left hand. He does the roll backwards where I can't even do that. I'm a right-handed drummer, so he goes from left to right. I go right to left. So I can mimic it pretty close, but not exactly what he did on that record. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. There was definitely a pocket that they were living in. Really hard to capture that lightning in a bottle. Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, The Britons, talks about which songs are the most difficult to play. And you might be surprised. You're listening to WTMJ Conversations. Welcome back to our conversation with Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, The Britons. I'm your host, Libby Collins. It seems like the earlier song kind of had a formula to them, and we're probably, and I'm not a musician, but I assume they're a little bit easier to play. But is The Beatles... Oh, you're saying no, Rick. They're not that easy? They're not necessarily easier, no. No, just because they're earlier doesn't make them easier. There was definitely a pocket that they were living in, in those early songs, that were very hard to capture. Really hard to capture that lightning in a bottle. And some of the later stuff is a little bit more set in place, and it's a little easier to kind of work and get that, mold that, we find, than sometimes getting that tone and exact feel of an early song. It's kind of hard to explain Libby unless you're working with us on it, but you can take a song like Please Please Me. I don't think if the Beatles went back into the studio 10 years later, they could capture that same tone, Mm -hmm. the same sound, because it was so difficult at that time to get that, that's it. That's the song. That's your first number one hit. It's because of the overall energy and everything that was involved with that. There was a certain amount of energy in the early songs. I just and the technology was, and technology. technology in the early days was very, very basic and primitive. Nowadays, you know, or even in the later Beatle eras, too, there was so much extra overdubbing of things that they wanted to have. So it was more of a mastery later in their albums than it was early to where, you know, George Ryan had them come in and do so many songs within so many hours. It was very regimented, and the equipment was kind of prehistoric, like I said, compared to today's standards. So, But you did say that some of their later music had a lot of 
other sounds that they could only produce in a studio. Mm-hmm. Yet you perform many of those songs when you're doing a show. How do you do that? Technology is really advanced. Keyboards now can do things that they couldn't do years ago with sounds and being able to sample things to where you can play that now with a keyboard, but you couldn't years ago. Digital pedals for the guitars, too. Mike can make his guitar sound like a sitar now, where we'd have to bring a special instrument for that. He can do that with a push of a button. I want to ask all of you what your favorite Beatles songs are. Not just to perform, but overall. And you can answer it Mm -hmm. in a two-part if you want to tell me the favorite one that you like performing and the favorite one that you like listening to. Jeff, let's start with you. Tomorrow Never Knows is my favorite listening song. I think it's really creative. Performing, so hard to put a pin on that. Come Together is a great one to do. You know, Not a Ringo solo? No, I mean, well, he only had one that I know of. Golden, Golden Slumbers, Slumbers yeah, he does a, a solo in there. Solo. And it's a cool riff, too. He said he stole it from Inagata De Vida. <laughs> That's the truth. That record had just come out, and he really liked that. So he did that portion of Indigata De Vida in that song. You've got to play if that. You, I want to hear that oh, one yeah, now. Li- you'll have to listen for it if we ever do play it. We haven't played it in such a long time. How about but, you, Mike Trotchell? Well, first, my favorite album is Abbey Road, their last recorded album. My favorite is the Golden Slumbers medley off of that. <clears throat> Ask Me Tomorrow, I might have a different one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that one particularly, because that was like their swan song. And towards the end of it, John, Paul, and George traded lead riffs on it. And I just thought it was a great way to go out. Isn't it interesting how you said, ask me tomorrow and it might be a different song? Because a lot of Beatles fans will tell you that. Let's turn to Mike Shumway. What's your favorite to perform and your favorite to listen to? Probably favorite to perform, maybe help. I don't know that I could pick, like Mike said, it all depends on your mood. There's times where some of the ballads that the Beatles had, I could listen to those all afternoon because I'm kind of in a mellow mood. And then other times, rockers like Helter Skelter hit the spot. So it all depends on kind of the way you're feeling at the time. And I think that's the same with Beatles fans, too. They have a hard time picking. They have a list of songs, but it all depends on their mood at the time. How about you, Rick, for Tony? Well, I think all your children are just as important. So it's hard <laughs> to pick one. I got to go back to I Want to Hold Your Hand, Libby, because... I guess that's the reason I play guitar. And the reason I got into being a musician was that song. I liked music way before the Beatles, but the Beatles just put me over the top. And so I have to go to that song. It's one of my favorite songs all time, favorite song to play. And I also like All My Lovin'. I get to sing that one, and there's a lot of bass in it. It's a wonderful rhythm guitar work. It's just a great song. And so, like I say, how do you pick one of your children as your favorite? They're all good. You know, you love them all for different reasons. And that's kind of where I think I'm at. Are there any Beatles songs you would never perform? Either because you don't like them, or they're too difficult, or... You just don't think it's good music. Revolution number nine. Yeah, that would come to mind, yeah. You I know my that. name, you know my number. That, that There's a couple of tunes off the White Album that are, they may be creative, but I mean, for us as a performance standard and for the people that we're playing to, I don't think they would be as well received. People would rather hear something that they're more familiar with. And not saying that they're bad songs, it's just probably not appropriate for the type of venues that we do. Well, and a lot of the venues you do, people do love to get up. They like to move around. They like to dance. As you said, all ages, from little teeny tiny kids to older people. And there's such a community that comes together at one of your shows. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's what, like, just like our John right here was saying, you know, there's so many songs to pick from. We want to pick the songs that not your die hard Beatle fan will know, but just the average 
fan would know because we don't want to play songs where they're not sure that was that a Beatles song or not. You know, we want them to know that that was a Beatles song. So we're trying to play the most recognizable tunes. And we have so many that why not play the most recognizable tunes for a show? Well, you said you have a catalog personally of about 157 of 210 or so. Mm -hmm. Are you learning more? I mean, is it going to be 175, 182? Well, it might be, but, you know, we've kind of captured most of the ones that we're trying to do. Every once in a while, we'll say, you know, something I want to do, like uh, like our Mike Shumway here wanted to do every little thing. So we learned that song. Mm-hmm. And, it's in, uh, we, it's in our show now. Yeah, we have never really did that song before, but it's it's a catchy tune, mm-hmm. and it's not a number one hit, but it seems to be going over pretty well. So that's how we base it, too. If it starts to look like it's not working, we may drop that song for a while and move on to a different one. And some Sometimes for a CD, we might record a song right. that we never perform. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the other thing, is you do have CDs. It's not that you just perform live. How many CDs do you have these days? I don't know. I kind of lost track over the years. <laughs> well, well, there's probably five or six CDs, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we've been kind of having about three of them on hand most of the time that we have lately mm-hmm. that we've been using. So we have some. Are there any that you put songs on that you feel, oh, you know what, we should maybe re-record that at a later date? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think we're ever completely satisfied yeah. with the way we produce something. We're usually very happy with it, but you know, I think we could have done that even better. I think that's just the musician in us. It, right. It's never mm-hmm. good enough. You almost we're, talk. Ne- we're never getting to the top of the mountain with these, but you know, we get as close as we can. And again, with the audience that we have, if we're not to their satisfaction, they'll let us know mm-hmm. because Beatles fans are very passionate. That if you're not doing justice. You know, they'll make you aware of it. Coming up on WTMJ Conversations. You have to really want to do it right and play it right. And that's kind of what we have here. Do the Britons ever get tired of playing the Beatles? Now, more of WTMJ Conversations. I'm Libby Collins. Today's conversation is with Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, the Britons. You're all such talented musicians, and you've all played with different bands, different music at various times. Do you ever get tired of playing the Beatles? No. Not not really. No. 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 Can anybody see that I'm shaking my head? Yeah, yeah, I, well, I saw this all in unison. <laughs> yeah. You looked like you were all going to turn yeah. on me. <laughs> no, no. It's, no, yeah. no. That, and that's like one of our most asked questions, too. You ever get tired of playing them? Well, no. We really don't. It's really fun. Libby, you have to find four musicians that get along and like that music equally. If you had somebody that does it just because they think it's a job, they're not going to play it right. It's not going to be in their blood. Their DNA. You have to really want to do it right and play it right. And that's kind of what we have here. Well, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of interesting. The four of you have been together 20-some years? Well, our George is now the baby of the band. He's been with us since 99. That's a long time. Yeah, 24 years. And it's hard to believe any band has been together, four guys on the road, setting up, knocking down things, rehearsals, recording. Getting how us in a studio like this. How do you, <laughs> well, that, and that was a challenge. Mm-hmm. But how do you all get along? Because you're human. Everybody's going to have disagreements or bad days. Sure. Oh, that's well, we, you know, this is not a, a full-time, full-time band either. We do probably between 35, 40 dates on an average a year now. So there's plenty of off time for everybody. Yeah. So... 
you know, the, the summertime obviously is going to be our, our bread and butter time where we're working a lot. But I think it's the fact that we're not forced to do this because, you know, well, I got to make that paycheck at the end of the week or whatever. So we're, we do this because it's a passion. But we also have a brotherhood within the band, too. Yeah, there's little disagreements about things, but nothing that would ever destroy the passion that we have that we can all do this and, and keep doing it, God forbid, health-wise, as long as we're able to. What do you find most rewarding about performing the Beatles hits? Watching the happiness of the fans. That's just, the reason why. Just seeing the large crowds, right. thinking all these people are out there to listen to Beatle music and to see us. Yeah. That's, that's really, it's really, we're it really impressed by that yeah. and blessed. One so difference much. that I've seen, and we've all played in other bands, but I've made comments to, to the guys too, but one thing that I noticed with, uh, with this band is that people aren't just coming out to hear music as they do with a lot of other bands. They just want to hear some music. They want to hear the Beatles songs. They're specifically coming out for this type of music. And that's different from other bands that mm-hmm. I've played in where, yeah, the parties just here this weekend, whoever's going to be playing, we'll, we'll have a good time with them. The people that come out to see us, they're coming out to hear that music. Right. Which is kind of rewarding for you. I oh, mean, it's your yeah, destination. Yeah. Rick, you said 1977 is the first year that you played. Do you have people ever come up to you and say, you know, I proposed to my wife yes. at one of your shows, yes. or I, I, my baby was, I went into labor while I was watching you guys. I mean, what sort of stories do you hear from fans? Yeah, yes, they do. They come up, they said, I saw you in uh, maybe, like we said, Southridge Mall, 1977. They met, they got married, had their family, their family's coming out to see the band now. So we've mm-hmm. had impacts like that, where mm-hmm. it's kind of went through a generation. And there's a lot of people that said, well, I, you know, I saw you over in such and such a place and I had my first date with this girl and you know, just, just little things like that. You know, So it's kind of fun to hear the stories and the impact you might have on people. There's a couple of people that come to see us that might even be on the handicap side and it just that's, they love that. They just want to come and see us. It brings some real smiles to their life and to our life and we get a kick out of that too. There's people that will even bring on the stage once in a while that might be like that and they just it just we're such a big part of their life that we didn't even know we are, but I guess we make a difference to them too. Mm-hmm. One last question. The Beatles broke up well over 50 years ago. If you said to somebody 50 years ago, oh, they're still going to be playing this music in 50 years, you'd probably get a lot of naysayers. But looking ahead, another 50 years from now, another 150 years from now, will people still be listening to the music of the Beatles. I would like to think so. I believe that. I yeah. think so. The music is being taught in public schools as a lesson, you know. And I, I think today's music doesn't really have the soul mm-hmm. that kind of nourishes people the way the music of the 60s, specifically the Beatles, did. You know, there's a lot of bands that come out and they have a hit song here, they have a hit song there, but there's no sustainability with it. They're gone, you don't even remember them much anymore. Mm-hmm. But for a band like the Beatles and a number of groups out of the 60s too, you know, you still have that wanting to have that music in your life. And that's what it's really all about. It generates part of their life. Well, I think you've all made such an impact, especially throughout southeastern Wisconsin, on the people who have come to see you during the years. And uh, let's hope you keep going. I don't know for another 50 years, but let's work on it, huh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Sounds yeah. good, Libby. And we yeah. have four people to thank for that. Yeah. John, Paul, George, and Ringo. There's only one Britain song I want to end with, and it's You Can't Do That. 
It was the very first song that my husband and I danced to on one of our first dates. Today we've been talking with Rick Bertoni, Mike Shumway, Mike Trutchell, and Jeff Gish, all from Milwaukee's own Beatles tribute band, The Britons. If you joined us late and you'd like to hear our entire conversation with The Britons, go to WTMJ.com and share today's show with everyone you know who loves the music of The Beatles. You'll also find a partial transcript courtesy of E-Court Reporters. For WTMJ Conversations, I'm Libby Collins.